You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. On today's episode, I want to take the opportunity to remind our employers, in particular some of our California employers, of a few important deadlines and report on a significant change in the law that could have a lot of California companies on the wrong side of California's privacy protection laws. And finally, I'll end the show by sharing a few cautionary tales from the courtroom applicable to all our employers. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for joining us today. Let's get started by talking about a few important deadlines impacting California employers. So first off, the new mileage rates for 2024 have been released by the Internal Revenue Service. The rates are used to calculate the deductible cost of operating an automobile for business, charitable, medical, or moving purposes. Applicable rates for 2024 include the business rate, which is now set at 67 cents per mile, which is an increase from 2023. Active duty military medical or moving purposes, the rate for those qualifying as active duty members of the U.S. Armed Forces for medical or moving purposes, set at 21 cents a mile. This is a decrease from 2023. And charitable organizations, the rate for charitable organizations remains unchanged at 14 cents a mile. While there's no federal law mandating mileage reimbursement for employers, the state of California, under its labor code, does require employees to reimburse employees for mileage incurred in the course of their employment. The Civil Rights Department has issued a new compliance poster. Various state and federal laws require employers to comply with certain workplace posting obligations. California employers in particular are required to Post the state's California law prohibits workplace discrimination and harassment poster. Given the recent updates to state mandated bereavement and reproductive loss leave, and also the prohibitions on discriminating uh, based on the use of cannabis outside the workplace, the Civil Rights Department has published an updated version of this mandated poster. The poster can be found um, along with other required posters on the CRD's website. CaliforniaCivilRights.ca.gov slash publications. All downloads are free. California pay data reporting is here. California employers with 100 or more payroll or labor contractor employees are required to annually submit pay data, which includes hours worked and employee demographics to the California Civil Rights Department. This year's filing deadline for the 2023 reporting year is May 8th. 2024. And as of February 2nd, 2024, California employers should have already begun accessing the CRD's pay data reporting portal to review the required pay data reports. 
updated templates to assist in preparing for the 2023 reports can be found on the portal along with instructions, a user guide, and some really helpful FAQs. Links, of course, to all of these will be provided on our episode page. Valentine's Day, February 14th, marked the deadline for complying with notice requirements under California's AB 1076. California's AB 1076 amended existing California law to codify the state's position on restrictive covenants. Restrictive covenants include non-compete agreements or non-compete clauses in contracts. Sending a very clear message, AB 1076 provided that every contract by which anyone is restrained from engaging in a lawful profession, trade, or business of any kind is to that extent void. That's a direct quote, pretty strong words. The statute also requires employers to send an individualized notification to all current and former employees who are employed by the organization after January 1st of 2022, regardless of where they currently reside, advising them that any non-compete agreements or restrictive clauses within any agreement are now void. So that deadline is passed. It was January 14th. Employers who have not yet complied could face civil penalties of up to $2,500 per violation payable to each individual who fails to receive the required notification. So let me give you a few recommended next steps. If you haven't already done so, you want to immediately begin a retroactive review of all your employment contracts for in or out-of-state individuals. You want to begin compiling contact information and drafting an individualized notification for those that are impacted. Those are subject to any agreement you may have with restrictive covenants. You want to create a notice that includes reference to the specific agreement. That's the issue of your notice, including identifying the impacted provisions within that agreement and clearly stating that due to this change in the California law governing non-compete agreements and these provisions, the company will no longer enforce or attempt to enforce these agreements or provisions. Now, you want to make sure to ensure that all impacted individuals receive the notice and avoid that fine. You want to send the notice using a verifiable method, such as FedEx or UPS or any other such carrier. And if you're sending it by U.S. mail, you want to use a return receipt request to make sure that the receipt is the uh letter is actually received by the individual. You want to seek counsel definitely if you are unclear or unsure whether any of your company's employment agreements entered into as of January 1st, 2022 contain any of these unenforceable non-compete languages. Lastly, and most importantly at this point, a California Court of Appeal has reinstated the California Privacy Protection Agency's ability to enforce previously stayed California Privacy Rights Act regulations that were set to take effect March 29th of 2024. In a lawsuit that was initiated by the California Chamber of Commerce in about June of 2023, this lawsuit challenged the agency's authority to initiate these regulatory efforts, and they alleged that there was government overreach, that there were conflicts with existing law, and that the regulations imposed unnecessary burdens on businesses. As a result, in July of 2023, a County of Sacramento Superior Court stayed enforcement of these regulations until March 29th of this year. Now, the agency, of course, immediately appealed that on and on February 9th of this year, that lower court ruling was overturned. 
So it was interesting in overturning the lower court's ruling, the Court of Appeal held that since there's no, quote, explicit and forceful language, unquote, in the text of the CPRA uh, regulations prohibiting enforcement of the agency's regulation making until at least one year after the agency approves a final regulation that the trial court aired in concluding anything otherwise. So initially it was alleged that the legislation governing the agency's regulatory efforts required a 12-month waiting period between its finalization of a new regulation and its enforcement date. So it's not known right now whether this particular decision is going to be appealed to the California Supreme Court. However, given the impact on these future regulation enforcement dates, it's highly likely that it will be appealed. And what does it all mean? Well, reversal of that March 29th deadline allows for immediate enforcement of California Privacy Rights Act regulations. Now, the California... Privacy Rights Act amended and expanded the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, by, among other things, giving consumers a right to correct inaccurate personal information that's collected by a covered business and to limit a covered business's use and disclosure of sensitive personal information to specified identified purposes. Now, if you're an employer who's subject to the CCPA regulations, you should, if you have not already, Take the following steps toward compliance. You want to make sure you inventory and map the consumer data that you gather uh, for employees and job applicants. You want to understand your obligations uh, under the privacy ob uh, obligations and the CCPA um, and finalize appropriate notices because the CCPA regulations uh, mandate that an owner has to provide particular notices to employees one is providing notification to applicants and employees and contractors as to the categories of personal information that is or may be collected by you, the employer. Information uh, that provides employees about their rights when it comes to access or restrictions on the use or disclosure of certain categories of personal information. Um, you wanna inform employees of their rights when it comes to correcting or deleting personal information. Um, and you want to inform employees about their right to request the personal information collected by the employer during the preceding, uh, the 12 months preceding their request. So you also want to make sure that you add CCPA compliance training to any existing supervisor training modules that you have or may purchase. And given that further rulemaking is underway at the agency concerning cybersecurity, it's a good idea for employers to also begin internal assessments of risk factors that are associated with any sensitive data collected or maintained. So that includes um, employment-related data like social security numbers and leave-related information. So for additional information and compliance tips on the CCPA and the regulations, you can search our episode guide for past CCPA-related episodes with Southern California attorney, Peter Stockberger. We are at our halfway point, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a couple of last minute deadlines before we get into our cautionary tales. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Don't let biased algorithms or degree screens or exclusive professional networks or stereotypes. Don't let anything keep you from discovering the half of the workforce who are stars. Workers skilled through alternative routes 
rather than a bachelor's degree. It's time to tear the paper ceiling and see the stars beyond it. Find out how you can make stars part of your talent strategy at tearthepaperceiling.org. Brought to you by Opportunity at Work and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back. We are talking about some upcoming deadlines, giving a little bit of information about some things that have are upcoming in California, some things that have changed in California, and um, some things that our uh, employers need to be aware of now that some of those deadlines have passed. So one last legal deadline update before we get into our cautionary tales. The U.S. Department of Labor's final rule for determining who is an independent contractor under federal law goes into effect March 11th. On January 9th of 2024, the U.S. Department of Labor announced the issuance of a final rule revising its guidance on how to analyze who is an employee or an independent contractor under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Now, this new regulation overturns the Department of Labor's prior rule from 2021 and introduces a six-factor test to determine the nature of the worker-employer relationship based on an economic realities test. The new final rule is, again, effective March 11th, 2024, so it's coming up. The new six-factor test for the 2024 rule includes the worker's potential for profit or loss, investments by the worker and the employer, the permanence of the relationship, the degree of the employer's control over the work, how integral the work is to the employer's business, and the worker's skill or initiative. Now, while these are the primary factors, these six that we just went over, other relevant aspects may be considered in specific cases. So these may not be the end-all be-all in the analysis. So in light of the new federal regulation, California employers must not only consider this revised definition of independent contractor under the Fair Labor Standards Act, but also analyze worker classifications under our state's more stringent ABC test. So the ABC test, distinct from federal guidelines, sets specific criteria uh, when classifying a worker as an independent contractor. The ABC test requires that a worker meet all three of the following conditions I'm going to tell you about in order to be considered an independent contractor. So A, the worker has to be free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact, so in performance. B, the worker must perform work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And C, the worker must be customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. Now, this ABC test is more restricted than federal standards, which makes it a little more challenging for California employers to classify workers as independent contractors. All right. As we head into the end of our show today, I want to share a couple of interesting cautionary tales from the courtroom. So our first cautionary tale, there are no magic words when it comes to paying overtime. So a U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, Second Circuit recently ruled that employers subject to the Fair Labor Standards Act, federal law, are required to compensate employees for overtime regardless of whether the employee requests the overtime compensation or not. 
and an employer violates the Fair Labor Standards Act when it does not pay overtime wages for work it suffers or permits, which is the standard, that is work that it requires, knows about, or should have known about. So in this case, the employer knew that its employees were working overtime, but it failed to pay them accordingly, arguing that it didn't have to pay the, the overtime if the employee failed to ask for it by including it on their timesheets. So what's important is the facts of the Second Circuit case really show that while the employer knew its, its workers were performing unreported extra shift work, it didn't take sufficient action to remedy the situation or confirm its assumption, which was that it had no obligation to pay overtime unless specifically requested to do so, was in fact a lawful assumption. And according to the court, whether an employer knows an employee is not being paid is irrelevant to Fair Labor Standards Act liability. And in this instance, the employer's knowledge that work was being performed was sufficient to trigger its obligations to pay for all work it knows about or requires, even if the employee does not specifically request compensation for it. Now, what does it all mean? Basically, whether an employee reports overtime work will often be irrelevant to an employer's knowledge of the work, but allowing or even requiring an employee to report overtime work is not going to absolve an employer of its obligations to compensate for the work they suffer or permit. So merely giving an, op an opportunity for an employee to report the time isn't going to be sufficient if you know about the work and they don't report it and the employer doesn't pay for it. So a key takeaway is basically that all employers really should understand that when it comes to wage and hour compliance under state or federal law, there are no magic words. If an employer suffers or permits the work, either by requiring it, knowing about it, or failing to exercise reasonable diligence to discover it, then it has to compensate the employee, even if the employee failed to report the work, and even if the employer did not know that the employee was working unpaid. It's not going to relieve you of liability. All right. Our second cautionary tale is one where a refusal to engage with a disabled employee led to a $1.6 million verdict. So in this recent case brought by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC really emphasizes the importance of employer obligations to prevent discrimination uh, based on disability in all aspects of employment, including the hiring process. So just after two hours of deliberation, a New York jury returned this landmark verdict of 1.6 million against a company called McLean Northeast, which is a large facility distribution company for discriminating against a deaf applicant. So in this case, the employer was found guilty of violating the Americans with Disabilities Act, by refusing to further consider a qualified applicant after learning that she was deaf and thereafter refusing to hire her for one of two entry-level warehouse jobs. So the applicant had a favorable initial interview that was conducted through a system that allowed the applicant to type in responses to questions that were relayed to the interviewer via a voice translator. At the end of the interview, the applicant was told that someone from the company would follow up with her about the position. So kind of led her to believe it was a favorable interview and that somebody would be following up because it was favorable. And then when no one from the company followed up, the applicant resubmitted her resume, 
which was subsequently ignored by the company and they hired somebody else. So in its defense, the company argued that the applicant was unqualified, uh, failed to inform the company of any disability or request for an accommodation. Obviously on that score, the jury was unpersuaded. So the ADA mandates that the definition of disability is to be construed broadly in favor of extensive coverage to the, to the max permitted by the law. And under the ADA, an employer may not ask a job applicant to answer disability-related questions, like if they have a disability or require them to take a medical exam before extending a job offer. But an employer may ask job applicants whether they can perform the job and how they would perform the job with or without a reasonable accommodation. So the laws against disability discrimination, whether state or federal, protect disabled applicants and employees from generalized assumptions that they cannot perform the essential, function that, uh, essential functions of the position sought with or without a reasonable accommodation. In the McLean case, once the employer became aware of this particular applicant's disability during the initial interview, it just ceased all communication and continually ignored the individual's resubmitted application. It was this failure to engage with the applicant that was the key mistake that this employer and many others make, presuming an inability to perform without engaging with the applicant or simply refusing to hire an individual with a disability without a showing of an undue hardship, which is an exception under the act, both under state and federal law. The bottom line, when it comes to disability accommodation, there's just no magic words. Once an app employer is aware of a disability, they cannot escape liability by placing the burden of engagement on the applicant or the employee. They have to interact with the individual within the guardrails that are provided by the applicable state or federal law to determine the true impact, if any, that that disability has on the individual's ability to perform the essential functions of the job that they seek. Super important, super, super important. All right. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining me today, and I hope the information was useful. I want to also thank my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Steve Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.